Hello and welcome to Tower Hill Online. I'm Karen G and this is our weekly sermon recap. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this message helps you grow in your faith and feel free to share it with others so that they can enjoy it too. This week, we're starting a new sermon series called Living the Good Life. In this series, we'll journey through the book of Ephesians to learn what the true good life is and how to get it. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. I was thinking about all the things that we remember, and uh, this month was a little bit of a remembering for me as I'm celebrating 10 years as your pastor this month. I couldn't even believe it. 10 years. <laughs> Where the heck did 10 years go? Oh, because I haven't changed a bit. So, uh, and I was thinking about coming here and the joy that we had when we moved here and living here in such a great place and, you know, great schools and you could have sand on your feet. Like, it's, it's a great place to live. This part of Monmouth County is just, we've, there are a lot of perks to living here that we've really, really enjoyed. But it was a bit of an adjustment. It wasn't what I was used to when we first moved here. There are some things I had to kind of relearn. Like, for example, everybody drinks coffee here, but everybody also has perfectly white teeth. I don't, I, I don't understand it. it was, do you know what's funny about that? Is That was the first thing I noticed when we moved here was everybody's teeth. And can't... <laughs> And Karen and I went out and bought those crest things, like, immediately, because I'm like, we do not fit in, honey. So, also I noticed that the, the more houses, big houses that are around, the higher number of yoga pants. I just, I don't know. I also noticed that uh, when I go to a kid's birthday party, I have a greater chance of seeing a professional DJ than a cake. So there are some things to get used to living uh, in, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm kidding around kind of, but it's, <laughs> we live in a very affluent area and, you know, people have means and are able to do things that I'm just, I was never used to doing. Um, it, it's, a, it's a far cry from how I grew up and especially in one season of my life. So in the way back machine to 1997, I was, uh, my stepfather was in prison. My mom had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. I'm living in this small house in the Poconos in my, uh, with my younger brother and sister and my mom. We were on food stamps. I, I was actually living, because there weren't enough rooms, I was living in the garage on an old couch in an uninsulated garage. And you know, I wonder why I have back problems now. But uh, I was doing, I was just praying to God for hope. I was praying to God for hope, and at the time, I was an aspiring uh, Christian musician, and so I, I was doing recordings in the garage where I was sleeping, just hoping that I could get out and maybe have some hope about what was next and what God was going to do with my life. Uh, you're going to laugh at this one, but I have to acknowledge my best friend, who is also kind of going through a searching time, he bought the Tony Robbins do you remember these? The Tony Robbins. Thank you. Somebody remembers them. And not everybody's willing to admit that they listen to them. But I listen to them. 
I dove in. I was looking for some sort of help. And um, we used to encourage each other, like, did you Tony today? <laughs> yeah, I Tonyed. I Tonyed big time, right? What else did I have to do but pray and listen to somebody telling me everything's going to be okay? It, it was a tough time. Although one of the things that, that Tony Robbins said about money, which I always thought was kind of funny, he said, and he said it jokingly, he said, money won't solve all my problems, but they'll help me face my problems with style. <laughs> I kind of like that. Uh, but it's true. Now, if you would have told me at the time, you know, Jason, money's not going to solve all your problems. I probably would have punched you. I'm not a violent man. That probably would have put me over the edge. I'm like, that sounds like somebody who has money. Money won't solve all. Are you kidding me? They're going to solve some problems. Money is not going to solve all my problems. I remember when I got my first ministry job, uh, youth ministry job, after that, I had a car that my friend gave me for free and a jar of peanut butter, and, and that's all I had until I got my first paycheck. And I'll never, I'll never not appreciate, I know it's a double negative, but I'll never not appreciate whatever I have, that I don't have to worry about where the next meal is going to come from, or I don't have to worry about the things I had to worry about then. And so, no, money won't solve all your problems, but they do make some things better. You can't just say money's not going to solve any problems. Of course they do. But also, something that I noticed, I always notice this. Whenever I go on a mission trip, and we were supposed to supposedly help the less fortunate, the less fortunate were the ones that were living happier than I was. They often had more joy and more faith in God than I did. And I was supposed to be the one who was helping. No, no. You go on a mission trip and you find out quickly, like, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm the mission trip. I'm the one who's being reached. Now, the problem isn't necessarily money, and I always make sure that I, I say this. Money's not the problem. It's, it's our relationship with money. It's our relationship with anything. So it's, it's kind of like food, right? Just like we can have an unhealthy relationship with food, you need food to survive, but it can also make you sick. It's the same thing with anything. It could be wealth. It could be anything that you put into that place. It could be wealth. It could be a relationship, circumstance, job. The big one for people in our area is we make our identity all about what we do for a living. That's who I am. And not for nothing, we've spent all of our lives working toward whatever we do. So yeah, we feel a strong sense of identity, but the problem is, is that if your identity is on anything less than Jesus Christ, you're going to have problems, because your identity will never hold up to the struggles of life. It's never enough. It goes like this. So if wealth is your foundation, or anything other than God, of our identity, it's going to create problems. And in the end, really, our living the good life is all about identity. Who we believe we really are. This is the first step to living the good life. Identity used to be, now years ago, formed by where you came from. But today it's something to be discovered. I was watching, is anybody else into that Finding Italy with Stanley Tucci? Anyone? I dig that show. I like it. 
I want to, he's going to be my friend, and, he, and he's going to take me to Italy. I, right? You hear that, Stanley? We're online. Um, see, I'm sure CNN's waiting to sponsor a church. Um, the, I'm sorry, that, was, that came out. Anyway, the... Uh, Identity used to be about where you're from. Anyway, on this episode of the show, he's, he's meeting with this local butcher and uh, in the middle of Italy, this very small town, and you know, the butcher works seven days a week. He even said, he goes, I never see Christmas or Easter. I'm just always, always working. And he, but he loves it. He seems to love what he does. And he says, his father was the butcher. His father was the butcher. And then he goes, but my kids, they don't want this job. They don't want this job. They want to go discover who they are. They want to go discover something else. There's good and bad to all that, right? I think there's some good things about the the journey of self-discovery. But I also think that we're a culture that's absolutely obsessed with identity. It's like it's only about discovery. Abandon all your roots and discover whoever you want to be. Again, that has some plus sides in the sense that it empowers you to follow Jesus and follow what he wants for your life. I guess not bad. But it can also leave you a little bit adrift. It can leave you with what we've known for years, an identity crisis, right? I don't know who I really am, and therefore I'm stuck. I can't do what I'm destined to do because I don't know who I am. You could get lost in a sea of uncertainty when you don't know who you are. I think the journey of faith is supposed to be both. Remembering where God's people came from, your story, your past, who you are, who you grew up to be, and who you desire to be, who the Lord desires you to be. But believe me, it comes down to identity. And this is true as since the days of Jesus. It's always funny when I, when I go back and read the scripture and discover they were dealing with many of the same issues that we're dealing with now because human beings were still human beings and struggled with a lot of the same things. So the early church actually was having an identity crisis. And we're going to walk through... Paul's letter to the Ephesians, you know, those letters that Paul wrote were letters to churches that had church problems, and he was trying to address the problems that they said they had. So here he is trying to address a church problem that had come up, and it all had to do with identity. This is how. So the very earliest followers of Jesus were Jewish. Now, Jewish back then, it's had more weight to it than just being ethnically Jewish. So for example, my uncle is ethnically Jewish but he doesn't, he's not what you would call practicing Jew. He is, like, he celebrates Christmas, celebrates Easter. It's like he does all the holidays. It's not, it's not a thing where he is driven by that. Now, back then, it was different, though, right? So it was ethnic, and it was in however you practiced your religious faith. It was how you were set apart, how you observed different things. And what was the big identity of the Jewish people? It was... We're the chosen ones. Like, they didn't just stop being Jewish to believe in Jesus. They carried everything over with them and believed that Jesus was the Messiah that was to come. 
But that, some of the, what they brought with them was a misunderstanding. So they're like, we're the chosen ones, but now all these non-Jewish people are joining the church. We're so glad you're here. God bless you. But if we're going to have a vote, you're not included. We're so glad you're here. But we're the, the real ones. Like, we're the chosen ones. Isn't that cute? You want to change things. Right? They believe that, no, we're a different category than you. We're supposed to be here. You're like let in. We are the, we know who we are. We are the chosen ones. That was their identity. You Gentiles may be believers, but you are different than us. And Paul writes back in this really beautiful letter that starts with this big, grand understanding of God and narrows it down even to like how you're supposed to live your life, your everyday life. To help them understand who they really are and who they aren't. You aren't just the little selected group that is the only group that's right with God. Something changed at the foot of the cross. All the ground is level. Everybody comes to Jesus on the same basis, needing a Savior. Whoever you were does not sort of, you're not just born into, into your faith. You have to own it. Here's what he says, chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And I'm sure right away, the Jewish readers of this letter is like, yeah, darn straight, chose us. Wait for it. Chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us. Fun fact, that's where a lot of where the predestination ideas come from these verses. That's another time. That's a really complicated matter. Um, but anyway, predestined us for adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship. You weren't born naturally into being a child of God. You are adopted into the family. You, Jewish, non-Jewish, everybody. You're adopted. He uses this idea of adoption to give them a reset, to say, no, no, no. You're all chosen. Predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. In other words, this mystery of what God wanted from the beginning of time, all of the things that have happened up until Jesus Christ and now after, were all to one end that we are all chosen, that we are all saved by grace through faith, and all we have to do is believe it was for us. Believe Jesus is our Savior. Faith is the basis of being part of the family. 
not however you were born. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Inheritance. You are adopted sons and daughters of God and you are now, you are owed, you get, you get to receive an inheritance from the Father of everlasting life with him. Life to the full in the here and now, not just in the hereafter. I love the idea of adoption as a theological idea with God. Because I remember my own adoption. And some of you know all about adoption. On the other side, too. I think this is one of the most beautiful ways of understanding our relationship with God. I, I was adopted. My mother divorced my father when I was five, and I was raised by my stepfather, who, you know, all of his issues aside... He did love me, and I grew up, um, the stepfather's last name is Tucker, and so I grew up with the last name Tucker all through school, and I remembered how hard it was. It always gave me a lot of anxiety the first day of school every year. I was thinking about that over the last couple of weeks. A lot of kids went back, and that I always had to make sure I got to the teacher before the first roll call so that he or she would call me by Tucker and not my born name, and it really... I don't know why it bothered me so much. I guess I didn't want other kids to know that I had another last name or to ask questions about what that meant. And so the first day was always really hard for me because I had to race to the class to get to the teacher before the roll call. I don't know why, but that was a real hang-up for me when I was growing up. And I wasn't officially adopted or legally adopted until high school started. And I remember how it happened. It was not what I thought it was going to be. We go into the courtroom in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, and it, the whole thing took about 10 minutes, and somebody asked me if I wanted to be adopted, and I'm like, yes, let's go. <laughs> I've been wanting this for a long time. And um, I don't remember all the details, but I do remember afterwards the thought that really struck me when in the mail I get a new birth certificate. And on that birth certificate it says Jason Tucker. Whatever me existed before that legally did not exist. It was as if I had been adopted or I had been tuckered the whole, my whole life. And I feel like, isn't that a wonderful way of understanding God? When we come to God in faith, we are adopted and it's as if we've been part of the family the whole time. That sinful us, that sinful part of us, the brokenness, all of that gone, erased, we are the children of God that we were born to be, chosen before the foundation of the world. What an amazing way to understand God's love for us. Because what is adoption? It's not just a legal transaction. Why do you adopt? You adopt out of love. It's a relationship change. He chose us. And we're a mess. We got great teeth, but we're a mess. <laughs> it's a relationship change. We who, who were born in sin, in our sinful nature, like driving a wedge between us and God, God says, I love you. 
Let's get past all of that. You're mine, and it's as if you've been mine from the beginning. He chose us. And it's a change of legal status. We are now part of a family with an inheritance. Hey, did you even know that today? You get an inheritance. Not one of those scam calls. That, you, know. you have a, somebody who died who left millions of dollars. Really? This is even better than that. We become children of God, heirs to an inheritance. What do we have to do? We just have to say yes. Like if you did find out, if you got a letter, but it looked really official, like from an attorney. One of your relatives passed away and you're left in the will. Wouldn't you at least give them a call? And find out for sure. And maybe some of you, this is how you feel about Jesus. You're like, I don't know. This sounds great. I don't know if this is really true. This is really real. Won't you at least investigate? I promise you're going to be amazed by what you find. It's as if God is saying, from now on, you are mine and what's mine is yours. I've been waiting for this moment since before the earth was made. You now bear my name. You are my child. We know who we are. We are the chosen ones. You are. Everybody is. Who has put their faith in Jesus. Why is this important? Here's why. Who I say I am versus who God says I am is like self-esteem versus God-esteem, I call it. So it's like a balloon. Let's say my kids go back, you know, first week of school, they go back, get to their homeroom, see all their buddies in the hallway, they're high-fiving, fist-bumping, doing the gritty. I won't do that now. <laughs> Anyone with a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. And so what do they, they, they feel good. They feel like they have friends. They feel connected. And so like a balloon, their self-esteem inflates a little bit. They get to class. They find out, hey, you got an A on that, on that quiz. Go to lunch. That girl or boy that they were really hoping would talk to them, talks to them. They're picking up what they're laying down. It's good. They're happy. Right? Get home from school. Parents are in a good mood. Hey, great job on your quit. Hey, let's go out for ice cream. I'm so proud of you. Right? And that's great. When everything's going great, we do great. But then you walk in the next day. Buddies don't pay attention to you. Psh. Teacher says, hey, we got another pop quiz today. Ooh. Psh. Find out that kid you really wanted to talk to did it as a joke. It's not just when we're kids either, is it? It's all of us. Self-esteem versus God-esteem. Why does this matter? Because my identity isn't tied up in what I do, or my circumstance, or even how people treat me, or how I'm perceived by other people. My identity is tied up in who God says I am, what God has promised me to be. 
the love and the grace and the mercy he's given to me so I can walk around. God loves me unconditionally. He died for my sins. He has a plan and purpose for my life. And it never has to deflate no matter what's going on. Because if God is with me, who could be against me? God is for me. God loves me no matter what. God is with me. He is a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. And he's with me. I bear his name. I am part of his family. Knowing who you are in Christ is the secret to living the good life. At least, it's the starting point. Because then, once you know who you are, you can know who you're destined to be, and you can follow it. I mean, listen, parents, grandparents, how many times did we have to sit through the Lion King? Right? How many times? Or Frozen, or whatever. Pick a movie. And three-quarters of the movie, you're going nuts because you just, would you just figure out who you are, Simba? Simba, will you just figure it out so you can go end this thing? All right, if that doesn't work for you, how about Luke Skywalker? Luke, can you just figure it out? Don't you know who you really are? Because if you knew, you know that you are more than enough to win the day. You are more than enough to conquer your enemy. I feel like God is screaming that to us. Don't you know who you really are? Stop it. Stop, stop, stop. Know who you really are. Don't believe the lie. Don't walk around with a self-esteem balloon inflating and deflating based on what's going on in your life. That's not living the good life. Listen to what I tell you. Listen to who I tell you you are. You are more than enough. You are more than conquerors. You are my children. I love you forever. Identity with God. It's both where you're from and what's discovered in Jesus Christ. So what if the good life is not about what you do, but about what God has done for you? What would it look like for you to trust that more today? Maybe there's something going on in your life that's a a tough circumstance. You don't feel God in it. You don't know what's going on. What would it look like to trust even through that who God says you are? Maybe you just, maybe you want to find that song Waymaker and play it a few times this week. When you're kind of feeling down, when you're feeling like you're not sure what's going on, play a song like that. I, I love having triggers like that that remind you of the truth because it's so easy to fall for the lie. And my prayer is that all of us will figure out what it really looks like to live the good life. Amen.